Fireside Chat with Brian Pirrip, LCS Explorer and American Adventurer, Part 2. Hey there, welcome to episode 7, and I can confidently say that this is going to be episode 7 of The Car Diary by Javier S. Thompson, because the last one was episode 6, not 5, like I may have said, because I didn't take into account that the first Fireside Chat was a two-parter, which this one also is, so you may have just listened to part 1 of my Fireside Chat with Brian Pirrip. And I hope you have enjoyed our chat so far, because I think in part two, it's even better and more real. We briefly addressed the reason for the technical difficulties at the end of part one, which makes sense if you watch the video. But I really did want this to be mainly an audio podcast experience. But the video does allow me to make some fun clips to promote the show. Um, and actually, that's what I wanted to talk about before I get to part two here, and that is promoting the show. Um, be- and before I get to that, I wanted to say that I see on Instagram people who say, well, something's wrong with the uh, algorithm for TikTok or Instagram, or, or that I'm being shadow banned or something's happening because I have such few likes or engagement. And I, I don't know the the. In- I don't know all the ins and outs, but and you may be right, but what I know about my content is sometimes it lands and sometimes it doesn't. But I have asked some of those folks who worry about that, like, why does it matter? Uh, you know, why does it matter what your engagement is or how many likes you get? And I think it's only fair if I ask that question inwardly to myself and share that out with all of you. Um, you know, why do I talk about the numbers sometimes? Like I, I've mentioned it a couple of times. And quite frankly, I think it's because we want to be heard. I think that we want to think that our, well, actually, maybe we want to know that our voice means something, that it matters in this world. And I'm here to tell you that it does. Your voice does matter. And that's why I do try to engage with as many people on Instagram as I can to the detriment of other things in my life, because so long as you're you are being civil and courteous. I would like to think that I am doing that as well, uh, other than the times I'm being what I hope is clearly and patently sarcastic or good-natured fun, um, because I like to have lighthearted fun. But I do hear you. Uh, I do hear the comments. Um, I think some creators say, don't read the comments or don't do this, don't do that. Like, I don't know. I'm, I'm small fish. I'm having fun. I like to engage. I think that everyone's voice is important. And again, if people are discourteous or not civil, then that can just be taken care of. So when it comes to this podcast, man, like this episode, especially this second part, I think it's so good. And I want a lot of people to listen to it. That's why I want to promote this podcast. Is it nice to see the numbers go up? Yeah, it is. Um, for those of you who create, you you know that. You get that rush, that feeling. And eventually I want to talk about podcasting and content creation because until you are one of those folks, I think it's hard to understand the, the psyche or my, mindset of a creator. Um, but what do those numbers even mean, right? I mean, well, I mean, to, to put it very simply, those numbers are you, the listener. It's every time you click on this podcast, you download it, you stream it. And I hope that you love it because I love it. Or maybe you just like it. I don't know. You tolerate it. <laughs> um, but I hope, my hope is that you, that you get high quality podcast content. And maybe I'm not there yet. I, I hope to get there. But I really am proud of myself for even starting this podcast, starting from zero. And that I haven't even scratched the surface yet because, you know, so far to this point, I've only talked about the journey from the transactional side of things, but once we get to the creative side, you know, just some examples being the custom card art, the content creation, the podcasting, like I was mentioning earlier, I think that's going to be so much more fun. But, and uh, to steal that from, I think another podcast, not in the hobby, I think it's like two what's in a wow, but it's like, but, and there's a very big, but I do have some incredible podcast guests lined up about the transactional side. 
and I think I need to get to them or not need, but I want to get to them first before we move on to the next chapters of the card diary by by Javier Thompson. So I can, I hope you continue to do one of two things. One, learn something new or cool or two, enjoy the ride or better yet both. And I'm already at the five minute mark. So without further ado, part two, oh, that rhymes, of my fireside chat with Brian Pirip. Enjoy. All right. I think I have to wait for the uh, second timer to start. So then I think it's starting now. All right, all right, all right. Like Matthew McConaughey likes to say, um, we had to have a little bit of a pause, which I think is perfect. Uh, so for those of you who are listening to just the audio, the video, you'll get it. And, you know, uh, Brian is currently in uh, on camera in a car. I will let him explain uh, what's going on because uh, I, I think it's I think it's just part of your journey. Oh, it's a huge part of it. I spend so much time on the road that um, if I ever do calls like this or even any kind of work calls, everything is like on my laptop, in the car, uh, tethered to my phone. And so like right now, I'm sitting in a parking lot in Del Mar, San Diego, uh, having just finished a couple meetings. And now I've got to go out, drive out to Palm Springs. Sun's hitting the car. And mm. so the phone overheats and all of a sudden, boop, lose the signal. So there you go. Well, thank you again for your time uh, during this. I think this is a great, uh, I think the half point mark, uh, we've been talking for about 30 minutes, I think. So I wanted to get right into the, the the expertise area because you have seen more car shops than I think anyone. I mean, who knows, right? But let me ask you the, 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 um, the question that I had for you. And then um, I want to ask you like a chat GPT question and then talk about, again, the Phil Knight and, and Nike and all that. So here we go. Let's get right into it. In a world where so much is moving towards online transactions and online selling platforms, what is the importance of local card shops? And by the way, that type of question I wanted to say comes, uh, it's almost like an office joke because I know that you're a Cornell grad and I know the running joke in the office is Cornell ever heard of it. So I remember this scene in the office where Steve Carell's character was asked by Ryan, the the, the intern, uh, his MBA class. Uh, one of the person, uh, one of the people, one of the students was asking him how a paper company can ever can adapt in an ever increasingly paperless world. So I wanted to kind of ask in this world where it's clearly things are moving digital and electronic and online. You know the the very real and you know serious question of like what is the importance of local card shops. Great question. And yeah, I've always hated uh, Andy in the office for ruining my alma mater. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it's, 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 it's this, my analogy to it will be um, NFTs and sports cards, trading cards. Mm, okay. uh, we are in a very digital world. You would think that most people, you know, a lot of people think, oh yeah, nobody's going to want to buy cards anymore because we live in a digital era and you can have all this stuff on your computer. And you know what? It's not the case. NFTs completely dropped cards doing great. And it's because I think there's something about being in a digital world that actually takes it too far where people mm. want something they can hold, mm. something that's tactile, something that they can own. You know, like you own an mm. NFT, you don't really feel like you own an NFT. It's the physical owning of a card, of holding it, of looking at it is is still really important. It's the same reason why fine, fine art, the Picassos, the Monets mm. are still going to matter no matter what is that there's a finite amount of these kind of specialty items. And so I think the same thing is true with the local card shops is that you can get all the digital you want. You can do all the Instagram and the whatnot. But at the end of the day, there's something really special about walking into a card shop, looking around, seeing cards that you hope to own, cards that you can't afford, packs that you want to have, uh, other people that are in the shop. You know, most of the times I go in the shop, I'll at least strike up some conversation with at least someone and mm. talking. You don't get that digitally. It's that's where I keep going back to this whole idea of community that the local card shops will always exist. I think I mean, whenever you have a boom time, you'll have a lot of extra card shops that pop up as quickly as they can to try to take mm. advantage of that and try to cash in. 
Mm-hmm. And so I think there will be some contraction. I think, uh, you know, Fanatics hopes to 10, you know, 10 times the, the market. So there's probably going to be still growth in the local card shops. But mm-hmm. I think over time, uh, card shops will weed out the, the bad eggs or the ones that are just opportunistic and the ones mm-hmm. that are, like, you know, built around community and and positive energy and all this. It's going to stay. It's going to stay no matter what. Like one of my favorite card shops in the country is actually probably about 10 minutes from here, uh, Ross Collectibles. Mm. And it's because they're constantly doing trade nights. There's always kids in the shop. Every time I walk into uh, to that shop, there's always kids. There's a positive energy. And the owner of the shop is trying to build a community, you know, for all the people in the area to come and to engage with it. And he's always constantly thinking of how can I improve this shop and make it better, make it a place that people just want to come and spend time at. So, yeah, you can have all the digital stuff in the world, but, you know, at the end of the day, there's still being a human and there's still things that we want to mm-hmm. feel, experience and see. It's the yeah. same reason why we're all, you know, I can watch baseball on television all I want, mm-hmm. but it, it, watching baseball on television is nothing like actually being at a game. And that's how it is with local card shops. They'll always be. There. I love that. I love that. So. Again, this isn't in my show notes, but when you were saying all that, I was thinking about the five senses, right? The human five senses. When you have your phone, you have your visual, you have your audio, but you don't, you know, yes, you're holding the phone, I guess, or or on the laptop, but you don't get that tactile feel of cards and being in, in a shop. That smell, you talked about the the fresh packs of tops. Um, I, I remember, so I stopped collecting. I didn't, I wasn't a heavy uh, baseball collector, but when I got back into some baseball recently, I didn't realize that tops actually tops baseball cards have a smell that like panini cards don't. Yeah. Um, and then I was like, and then I read something where maybe it's like some sort of chemical to actually get you to like, you know, I won't go into the conspiracy theories, but apparently there are some chemicals and things during the printing process that are just different with those two printing companies. And then of course the fifth sense is, um, taste which i guess none of us are eating the cardboard or at least you would like to think well we always had the bubble gum back in the day oh yes there you go you know the history of uh, sports cards is the history of bubble gum so they're intertwined will 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 fanatics bring back the bubble gum i wonder i have some very (laughs) strong suspicions that bubble gum will be coming back this next year oh man big buyer on bubble gum we got big bubble gum in in the house that's awesome so I love that you talked about community. Uh, I, I agree. I think that's the main thing is in a world where we are so fractured by social media, it's amazing that you are a bright spot, bright light in the hobby where you are actually, you know, your social media presence is so positive and good. So I think that is what's missing. And I guess my question to you is when it comes to our currently fractured society, do you, can you see cardboard bringing us together? Yeah, I think it does. I mean, it's on a, on a niche level right now, but I think the hobby will continue to grow. I think that, you know, a lot that Fanatics is wanting to do with, uh, I mean, one of their major goals is to bring this, make it more international, bring a lot more, just a lot more people, make it invisible. Like, mm-hmm. as I like what Ruben always said with, nobody's ever seen commercials on television about sports cards, but now you're, mm-hmm. you will, and increasingly so. Mm-hmm. So I just think that, you know, like, I mean, I'll always be split about it. Like there are days where all I want to do, like one of my favorite things to do is to get myself, like if I'm on a, on a road trip or even if I'm at, at my, my place is to go get like a, a pizza, you know, mm. buy a box of like new Bowman or new tops or whatever, mm. go back to my place, put on a favorite movie or, you mm. know, favorite album or whatever, and just rip by myself. Like no matter how much content I do, like I don't film everything, right? There's, uh, okay. there's like, I'll be at my place by myself and just mm-hmm. enjoying ripping a box, listening to some tunes, eating a pizza or whatever. And that for me is a really just relax. That's, that's therapy for me. That's a real relaxing experience. But then there's the other half of it. It's about, you know, card shops and stadiums. And I think there's going to be more integration between card shops, stadiums, making the whole thing more engaging as a whole. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think, yeah, I mean, I think there there will always be a, a, a I think that trading cards is a way for people. Yeah, it's a it's a great equalizer. It's uh, I think it will have its part to play in, in bringing people together. Awesome. I love it. And do you 
I, I, I gotta ask. I mean, you mentioned pizza, and I am getting hungry. <laughs> What's your? I, I'm sure there's. I'm sure the best pizza you you've ever had in your life is probably your travels to Italy or some. Yeah. You know, if it's in America, it's some like you know, uh, Trattoria or some small place that you know is not uh, franchised. But is this controversial? Like, would you like to share with us, the listeners, your favorite franchise pizzeria chain? Yeah, franchise. Yeah. I'm a Domino's guy, dude. Domino's, I'm all Domino's. okay. I'm Domino's. And Domino's because Domino's is always there for me. Wherever I am in the country, <laughs> it doesn't matter if I'm on the edge of the Grand Canyon, Domino's will find yeah. me, right? Oh, man. So I got a lot of loyalty to those guys because they've always been there for me, man. And there's nothing like a eat, opening a box of Bowman while having mm -hmm. a full Domino's blowout. Like yeah. Bristles, all of it. That's, That's a good awesome. Do so you, uh, what, was, what was the mascot called? It was like Domino's Noid or something like that. I'm just, just completely off the top of my brain. Um, it was like this Domino's logo with like hands and 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 feet and just walking around. I don't know. I, I think there's like a video yeah. game with that. I, I'm gonna have to probably fact check that. Fact check that. But I, I mean, I love my New York pizza and I love my Italian. Pizza. Oh so gosh, yeah. I'm in Italy or New York or whatever. It's all different food groups. It's like it's not even the same food. It's just New totally York. Different. I mean. Again, I wasn't planning to segue into this, but, you know, so I romanticized my local card shop as a kid in Queens, New York. Um, and I wanted to give you this opportunity. If you could paint us the word picture like you're Bob Ross and you are just giving us these word trees. Is there a way? Could you? I'll, I didn't ask this beforehand, but would you be able to? paint us the word picture of your local card shop. And I believe you grew up in Beaverton, Oregon, based on your, um, yeah. and, I, and I'm, and I'm uh, stalling a little bit here for time. So you can kind of get your, so your brain can get back to that nostalgic time. But uh, when I first came to America, when I was two years old, my family, we, we moved, we lived in Corvallis, Oregon, uh, because my dad was going to Oregon state university, um, you know, go Beavers, I guess. Um, and so, uh, but I was two years old. There are pictures of me with a ton of roses and rose gardens. I don't remember any of it as a kid, but I do remember my dad loving that it was like tax free. <laughs> so, um, but yeah, could you take us back to that time and just like rom romanticize that local card shop? Yeah. Yeah. No, it's funny. My dad went to the same school as yours. Um, it was a beaver situation. <laughs> and yeah, I, my, my hometowns are Beaverton, Oregon and San Clemente, California, like Orange mm. County. Um, that's why you usually see me in either A's hats or Dodgers hats or Blazers hats. That's mm -hmm. what I tend to wear a lot. Yep. Um, but for me, Beaverton was really where card collecting, uh, that was the foundation of all of it. And so when I think about the words and the kind of stuff around it, um, cause there were three different card shops I grew up going to when I was a kid and it was, it was like, you know, it's like that scene in Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory when you walk in and there's the guy running the shop and he's kind of like, you know, very engaged with everyone and the kids and you're wanting to try everything. Mm -hmm. So for me, the, the card shop is, there's frankly, there's always a smell to it. There, mm -hmm. It's like cardboard, bubble gum, uh, the printing. <laughs> um, and it's it's a mix of things. I like, there's, there's the, the boxes and the cards that you cannot own. So there's a museum quality mm, to it. Mm -hmm, the museum mm -hmm. aspect where I'm like, whoa, I can never, here's a Mickey Mantle card. I can't believe I'm looking at a Mickey Mantle card. So there's the museum yeah. element. Uh, there's the, um, uh, there's the, all the current stuff. Oh, this is the current packs that are important. Uh, there's other kids. There's other people in the shop. There's the Beckett magazines. Uh, we're running through the price guide to see what something might cost. Yep. See what's on the hot list. Who's on the cold list? You know, the hot and cold <laughs> list are very important to me. Uh, there's, uh, uh, you know, an area where you can sit and open packs with your friends. Uh, mm. But it's more, it's like an intimate experience. It's, mm. I, you know, I've never been a fan of these just giant shops where, mm -hmm. just, you know, too much is too far or wide apart. I like it when it's a little cozier. Mm. But, uh, when you feel like, and I like it when the card shop owner actually cares about you, yeah. where you actually feel like that person isn't there to cheat you or rob you or take advantage of you, but actually loves the cards themselves. That's why every card shop I ever go to across the country, I always ask the card shop owner, what's your favorite card of all time? Because mm. I, I try to jar them talking about why they got into the hobby to begin with, because a lot of them have forgotten. And it's just a <laughs> transactional thing. That is such a great comment because that triggers in my memory about how one of the first videos I've seen, I, I saw of you was 
you know, this, this card owner, I, I forget which video and what, which store, but he was so standoffish in the beginning of the video <laughs> and you just melted him and he became so, uh, like not emotional, but he, he was evoking emotion and he was warming up to you. And it, it really was almost like a, a masterclass in how to lower someone's defenses and guard. And yeah. you, you, I think you were, you did marvelously in that, like, 90 second reel right or whatever it was and i was like wow that is i mean great job by brian by doing that but also like you it, it's that nostalgia right like you just you just tapped into something into that person's mind that that just allowed them to open up yeah you know that's so many times that people get in their jobs and they forget why they're there to begin with mm -hmm. they forgot why they started something or why they were passionate to begin with and then they lost the spark so yeah. I always like asking people, like, how did you feel when you opened that first pack? What, you know, what was that? You know, tell me about a moment that you, uh, you know, uh, were super excited when you met your favorite player and these kinds of things. And when people yeah. start reaching into how they felt and they start, you know, combining that with what they're now doing, you can mm -hmm. magic happens. People put down guards and start remembering why they got into something to begin with. And so I've seen that happen a lot with uh, local card shop owners. Yeah, I mean, because some of these people, they look like the the grand, uh, the, the old guy from Up, and you're just like, I'm not saying like you're the little uh, uh, Boy Scout kid with a dog, but like there's something that you're doing to them. It's almost like a Jedi mind trick where you're again, it's I mean, you're not doing anything nefarious. I'm just saying more of like you really bring out the good in people, and I really appreciate that. I think it's really Thank cool. You. I think it's like and a it's. Yeah, it's like a superhero power or something like that. So um, you kind of touched on this already, but I was going to ask you what are some without <laughs> I think it's easy for me to just say, oh, what's your favorite, you know, which is your favorite hobby shop or which is your least favorite? Like, I don't want to do that. What I would like to do, because you may not answer that because you don't want to put anyone on the spot. So my question to you would be something that you kind of already answered with like the intimacy of a small shop. But what are some of the best elements to you, what what are the elements of the ideal or best local shop card shops you've been to, and then the follow up being, what are some of the elements of your least favorite shops that you've been to? Yeah, no, the favorites. I mean, just like you know, like Honey Hole here in Escondido or Ross Card Shop, like they're both two really great examples. Mm -hmm. And I would also say the the Sports Room in Beaverton, Oregon. Mm -hmm. Those kind of sharp shops, it is. It's personal. You're they're always you're talking to the card shop owners. They're interested in what you're doing. They are helpful when they need to be. Sometimes they're just giving you information like, mm -hmm. oh, I don't know who is who I should be looking for in the new 2023 Bowman. And they, you know, start giving you ideas. I like that it's it's intimate, it's small. They have stuff. I love uh card shops that have junk wax as well as modern stuff. Mm. I don't like walking into a card shop and it's only the most super modern and I also don't like going into a card shop where clearly the worker there has no idea about anything to do with cards. Right. Um, I always think that's really weird. Uh, and yeah, I've been to a few card shops. I, I can't stand. Like I always tell people, like I don't, I don't post everything that we film. Like people think, oh, I, I'm just enjoying every single card shop I go to. That's not true. There's, mm -hmm. I got there's like five card shops on my absolute do not go list. Mm -hmm. and, uh, <clears throat> one of these days I'll have to kind of reveal those. Uh, but yeah. uh, the ones I don't like are the ones where you walk in and you feel like you're invading their special place somehow where mm -hmm. where they almost treat it like it's their own little special kind of club and they're bugged that you're in their shop. Yeah, um, yeah. And where uh, where it's almost like their their own personal addict or their their uh, their it's kind of gross. Like some of the card shops just stink. They're bad. Mm. They're run by some guy that should have hung it up years ago that mm -hmm. has no idea how disgusting their place is. Yeah. You know, that, I walked into a shop in Florida where I had to like walk out like five minutes later. It was so disgusting. Or, uh, or, you know, a card shop I went to that was very close to LAX. Okay. Uh, not very nice yep. guys, you know? Okay. <clears throat> Just kind of rude. Like, what are you doing here? Kind of stuff. That, yeah, that's the worst. Uh, people who are like, are you going to buy something? That's I've dealt with that in shows, uh, in shops. Um, my, I love, you know, like Instagram is my my fa my card family, and I love the content. Uh, like I try to stay positive, and I love other people's content. Of course, I, I love my own content. I don't know why I was trying to say that, but um, early on, and again, I'm 
someone wants to go to my very first post, they can see who it is. But <laughs> I don't want I don't want to name, name them on the podcast. But I started Instagramming because I just had such a bad experience in a card shop where the owner was. It wasn't just haranguing me. Now I got really upset because this uh, owner was kind of giving the business to my father-in-law, who I love. I'm not someone who is like, oh, you know, my in-laws are terrible. Like, I love my in-laws. And my father-in-law is such a sweet person. And for the shop owner to kind of like kind of try to pull one over him, I was just so livid. And it was one of those moments where I was like, you know, hey, Pop, can you can you leave the store? Because I'm going to say something that I don't want. And I didn't like really do anything too mean, but – I was just like, dude, I, I know what you're doing. Like, it was almost like I'm I'm still so new into the hobby back then. This was like last year before, like, again, my very, very new back into the hobby, re-entering the hobby after a very long hiatus. But even then I knew, wow, like you don't treat people this way. And so yeah. um, I, I, I got to say the 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 when you feel like you're encroaching in someone's space, they're not inviting when things smell um, something that comes off the top of my mind is. They say that people who have cats, they do not know the smell of their own house. But if they go on vacation and come back after like a week or two and they come back to the house, they go, oh, my gosh, this is how my house smells like because they get so yeah. used to that smell. Right. Yeah, yeah. There's been some there's been some funky ones uh, just right off the bat, man. I was just thinking about uh, what you're saying about uh, card shops that are great. There was a card shop back in New York back. I went there about 14 years ago. It was called the dugout. And it was mm. in Brooklyn. Okay. And. I mean, I don't know what ended up happening to them. I know they closed down, but I loved uh, the experience of going to that shop. That was one of my all-time favorite moments mm. is that I just come off the plane from England uh, where I was living at the time. Mm. And I went into Brooklyn. I had to do some kind of visa stuff. And I, I go to this card shop and the guy that was running it was just so nice. As soon as I walked in, it felt like I was in an episode of The Sopranos or something. There were like these four dudes, older guys on stools. There was a couple kids in the shop. And they're like, hey, how you doing? You know, all that kind of stuff. <laughs> and we start opening packs. And we're looking, we're trying to find some like, I think it was like a Conseco out of a packs of 87 tops or something. Okay. And I ended up spending the next few hours and they were so nice to me. And I had mm. no money at the time. I barely had anything. I was broke. Mm. Mm -hmm. And they just... I felt like I was part of the group. They were like knowledgeable about stuff that I didn't know about. They were educating me about these players that I, mm -hmm. I thought were common cards, but they were really important to New Yorkers. And next thing you know, they're inviting me to go to some bar down the street to go like watch a Rangers game with them. And it was just this like all of a sudden here I'm coming off the plane from England in New York City. I don't know anybody in New York. And all of a sudden here I am hanging out with these these guys in Brooklyn who are opening their hearts and they're they're just so kind to me and educating me because I was relatively new back into the hobby and it just it really kicked off the whole my kind of local card shop uh mm -hmm. stuff because I had such a great experience with those guys so that it was very intimate it was small they had junk wax they had modern stuff they mm -hmm. had a totally open, very, very kind. I'd say a big part of the whole thing is just kindness. They even, you know, like, oh, here, here's a few extra packs, right? Uh, that they uh -huh. gave me for free. They gave me some, you know, plastics. I had gotten, a, you know, my Conseco card and they gave me like a top loader to put it in. I think it's just those small little things that can make a difference between having a mediocre experience to not really wanting to go back to some of these sterile new ones where mm -hmm. there's just no parts in them. They just don't, there's right. no. They're just there to make as much margin on the new product as they can. And they don't care about educating. And so I think there's a, yeah, it's, I could talk about local card shops for hours. And no, hours. yeah, I, I would love it. Um, but yes, I, I have to try to be mindful of the listeners and your time as well and my hunger levels. Um, but you, well, I'm glad uh, when I think of plastic and Sopranos, there's usually not a good ending to that. But I am we need to preserve you. You are like a uh, a hobby legend or like you. we need to preserve you and make sure that you are not going into any uh, Sopranos uh, type of establishments uh, with plastic at the end. What was that movie? It was like um, with uh, Mark Wahlberg. And uh, anyway. Yeah, I was like, he's like wearing, he's like in a room with plastic. I'm like, okay, well, that's not good. But um, no, Sopranos. I got to write in my notes here. Uh, insert Sopranos clip here or like oh, yeah. cheers or something like that. But um, let me just ask you, when it comes to that term you've used, and I, and I have definitely wanted to talk to you about junk wax because um, 
it 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 is it does have like a negative connotation, but it's the era that you and I both grew up in and first started collecting as kids. Yeah. And you know, people are worried about this junk wax era 2.0 uh, that we're in potentially or are already in. And so, do you like when you hear that term junk wax? Like, what it, what what comes to your mind? I think uh, childhood in the eighties. It's uh, overproduced cards. It's cards that you know are always stacks of them at local card shops that no one ever buys. Mm-hmm. And I think of them as a treasure trove. They are, mm-hmm. you know, when I got back to this hobby 14 years ago, when I started opening packs, I had no cash. And so the idea that I could open a box of like 1989 Don Russ for like, mm-hmm. you know, 30, 40 bucks, it was like mm-hmm. junk wax for me was my gateway drug back in mm-hmm. because it was stuff that I could afford. I could sit in my hotel room and open a box of, of 89 or 88 or 87. So I, everyone's like, oh, junk wax era 2.0. That's not a bad thing. That's mm-hmm. not a bad thing because it's that cheap stuff, the overproduced stuff that mm-hmm. allows people without any cash, minimal, you know, all the people that are angry about junk wax eras, it's yeah. always people that have a bunch of money and they're worried about their investments and they're mm-hmm. worried about, you know, shoring up the value of their collections. But mm-hmm. you know what it is? It allows people that don't have money to get into the hobby. It allows kids to be able to participate. You know, everyone's always like, oh, you know, boxes are too expensive. Well, uh, Junk Wax Era 2.0 is a good thing because Mm -hmm. now kids that are able to participate and get, you know, packs for pennies on the dollar or uh, star cards for pennies on the dollar or base cards, it allows them to enter enter the space at at a cheap cost. Wow, I did not expect you to say that. Uh, again, we didn't prep a lot beforehand. Uh, that's very interesting that you say that. I'm gonna have to think about that some more. But I actually really appreciate that you said that because I do think that when it comes to the in- Instagram feeds, uh, you know, that we have, uh, just cards in general, it's everything's so glamorized. Everything is the like you've mentioned this in other podcasts or interviews where, you know, we're always talking about the hits or showing the hits, and there is almost like a. Um, a, a feeling that especially the younger kids, the teenagers have where they reach out to you saying my, my collection feels inadequate, almost like someone who's watching a model on Instagram being like, my looks are inadequate. And it's like, no, yeah. you're beautiful. Your collection is beautiful. And yet you're told by society or your social media feed and your, and the algorithm that you are not beautiful. And that really, you know, breaks my heart because we need more people to feel adequate and not inadequate. And so, yeah. Go, go ahead. Yeah, I have some very expensive cards in my collection. And yet my favorite card is my 1990 Leaf Frank Thomas that's off-center. Mm-hmm. It's probably worth 10 bucks, And mm-hmm. it is my all-time favorite card. I love that card. And it and it's because of all these various reasons uh, that I've kind of touched on already. But I think to I, there's nothing I hate more in the hobby than like particularly kids feeling bad, like they have to make some sort of an excuse as to why they don't have some sort of auto refractor rookie, you know, special patch, you know, relic. Right. Right. And I don't like that. Um, I've had kids that say, Hey, can you help me out? Can you give me some cards? I feel bad. I don't have any special cards. And I'm like, dude, that's not what this, no, it's okay, man. I I didn't get my first nice card until I was in my thirties, you know, it's okay. (laughs) (laughs) Right. Um, that's that's fascinating, and uh, I, I got to say, I for those of uh, for those folks who are uh, wa- only listening to the audio, uh, I took my head off. Uh, I feel like we're doing real talk, and I I was getting a little bit hot too. But <laughs> so no, this is fantastic. Um, going back to the 1990 Lee Frank Thomas, and you mentioned the 89 Don Russ that I wrote down here, and I definitely have to. Uh, when I clip this, I, I want to like put a picture of the 1990 Lee Frank Thomas in, in the uh, the video so people can see it. Right. But I remember, or I remember, because I, I wrote it down in Jeremy Lee's podcast in minute 68. You mentioned how your mom bought you a box of 1991 Donruss, and how she didn't just give that whole box yeah. to you at one time. She actually uh, metered I it out. That. You yeah. had to earn it, right? And and you know. These days, it's like a box is ripped open like a savage in like five minutes, and like here you're here you are having to earn your junk wax cards. And I mean, I, uh, I wrote down here that you mentioned J- David Justice and how it was a terrible set, like from a monetary standpoint. But the memory you still have of that particular year and set, uh, because your mom was like just 
metering it out so that you can earn it like yeah. isn't life so much better when when you can just earn things and they're not just given to you right i mean yeah i had to mow a lot of old ladies lawns man that year <laughs> <laughs> i was like on call for the neighborhood on weed whacking and mowing and and raking leaves before i finally got that dave justice <laughs> rookie out of that bar or that so wait <laughs> I, I gotta ask how, how does that work you're you're doing yard work for other people and then are these other people giving money to your mom oh, to pay no, for that box or like more like you know i was doing good turns man it was like boy scout stuff it was like mm. doing something nice for the community or doing chores yeah. around the house but it was like kind of anything that was like uh you know doing something for someone else and then your mom and they would tell your mom or you would tell your mom and yeah, then no, she would... I would, yeah i would you know i would usually tell her i'm like yeah i just you know just mowed Betty's lawn and, yeah. and let's go get you a pack. But that wasn't the real reason, you know, it was just, mm. it was, you know, we were broke. My dad was in school for nine years of my childhood. And so we didn't have any cash. So if I had any cards, it was like, you know, me having to uh, find some, you know, odd jobs like, you know, lemonade stands or mowing lawns or whatever. But uh, I liked the cards on the, uh, the 91 Don Russ handed out, uh, for various, you know, doing good for other people kind of things. I think that instilled some values there. Wow. So it's not an audio issue. It's me really feeling that because you, again, you and I don't know each other's stories. My listenership doesn't know this. Um, so yeah, when I, when I said my dad went to school in OSU to start, you know, he went for his master's in OSU he got it. And then he went for his PhD in York and he was a student. He was a struggling grad student going for his thesis. We're talking 10 years of trying to make it as an Korean American. Well, I guess he wasn't American, you know, like, like I'm a current, <laughs> I, I am, I'm an, I am a dreamer, I guess you can say, but I'm a naturalized citizen. Now my mom also got her citizenship, but here is a, graduate student, Korean immigrant, trying to make it in America in New York City without a lot of money and um, trying to finish his thesis, finish his doctorate while raising me um, and living in a foreign country. And money was really hard to come by. So when I think about those cards that I purchased as a kid, um, you know, it's like, probably shouldn't have or like you know it was i i mentioned this in my earlier episodes but cards were the cheap way to enjoy sports as a kid yeah. when you and i were growing up cards were so cheap and yet going to a game you know yes now it's more expensive and maybe the back then it was not as expensive but you know my parents weren't taking me to sports sporting events they weren't buying me the the best jerseys with the sneakers like you know i i'm the kid who wore the t-shirt the t-shirt jersey right the the one yeah. with the name and the number, but it's not a jersey or, you know, uh, I forget what type of sneakers. <laughs> but I mean, so what you just said, I, I didn't even mean to talk about this, but it's it's real. <laughs> yeah. And that's why when I smell a, you know, a pack of cards from back in the day from the junk wax era, it teleports me to simple, easy times and pretty happy memories of, you know, of, you know, riding my bike like painting someone's house number on their curb, taking the $5 from that, riding my bike to the local card shop, buying, you know, a couple packs of 90 upper deck, pulling a Kevin Ma's rookie card. And those are, those are special memories that I get uh, to hold on to forever. Isn't it so wild though, about nostalgia that we, we tend to remember the good parts and the bad parts we, we remember, but it's almost like it has to be pulled out or, you know, like in a discussion like this, you know, you, you open the door talking about your dad and his studies and not having a lot of money. I remember, yeah, you wrote, I wrote down here that in one of the early podcasts, you mentioned that you grew up on the poor side of town and that you were, that you were completely broke in your thirties. And I think maybe that's how I want to transition into like how you in a way became Phil Knight's right-hand man. But it's like mm -hmm. the, the, the triumphs are only as sweet because the struggles were so deep. Yeah. Oh my yeah. gosh. I didn't even mean to rhyme that. That was awesome. Whoa. <laughs> I'm write that one down. Oh yeah. yeah. Clip that. It's, uh, yeah. I think uh, victory is sweetest after the, the trials, the tribulations, the, mm -hmm. the challenges, the hardships. Mm -hmm. And uh, <clears throat> I think, uh, 
I think that's a, a big part of life. I think the people I know that is, have enjoyed, you know, it's if, if you're given everything from day one, it's really hard to kind of appreciate the things you couldn't have. And so like mm-hmm. one of the reasons I get a huge high from being able to now at this point in my life, buy Mickey Mantles and Hank Aaron's and those kinds of cards is that it was unthinkable to own those things back in the day. Yeah. It was just unthinkable that I would ever own a Mickey Mantle card. Holy crap. Right. right. And now I've got pretty much all the Mickey Mantles, mm. <clears throat> you know, and so it's small, it's a, small, humble brag, but yes, continue. Well, yeah, it's, it's <laughs> well, that's the thing is that it's, it's possible now. And that's yeah. one of the, the joys of this hobby is that it's a very different experience doing it as a kid to doing yeah. it as an adult. Mm hmm. Is that, you know, when you're a kid, you, it's unthinkable. And yeah. even, you know, I bought my first Mickey Mantle card. It was kind of half ripped, in, you know, when I was about 33. Mm-hmm. And then I was like, you know what? I'm going to, you know, set some cash aside. And as different things happen in my life or successes, I would try to acquire another one and another one and try to fill the gaps in my collection. And so mm-hmm. that's why it's a lifelong process. Of That's yeah. why one of the reasons I love this hobby is that it is a lifelong quest to find and piece together the collection that you want. Yeah. So, yeah. <laughs> so all you uh, kids out there doing trade-up challenges with your Zion cases with uh, $1,000 slabs. No, I'm just kidding. Um, I, I just love that. You know, whoever, if you want to collect, there's di- multiple different entry points. Yeah. And so endless different entry points in endless different ways. Yeah. And that's what makes this a, such a multifaceted, interesting Right. Uh, no right way, no wrong way uh, kind of hobby, which I think is fantastic. It is. So I, I want to set up uh, the, the following question or I, I want to set up the question after getting your just story about. Again, I, I, I've teased it too many times for us to dance around it enough. Uh, so smash cut heart tangent. Let's go. Your time in Nike and being Phil Knight's right hand man, because I have not heard this read. I have not read this in any article or heard it in any of the podcasts. Uh, I would love to learn more about this. Yeah, I uh, wouldn't say I was his right-hand man. What uh, I had my experience with him, I, what it was is that I'd grown up around, you know, Nike. I grew up maybe a mile away from Nike headquarters. And so I always had a, <clears throat> had a real love for Nike. Moved there the same year that Nike headquarters built in 1987. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and I became, you know, I was much, as much into Nike shoes as I was into cards at the time. So I bought my pair, first pair of Air Maxes in 1990 um, and uh, uh, from babysitting. And then uh, about when I was, I think, 35 or so, I had an opportunity where uh, I got a job at Nike World Headquarters in their philanthropic group. So I got hired into the um, what was called kind of a mix of Nike Foundation, Global Community Impact, and the Girl Effect. It was kind of the three different parts of, yeah. of Nike's philanthropic groups. And so I was there for a couple of years, and it was a very pivotal time in my life. A lot of changes, switching one career to another career, uh, a lot of life things with like, you know, relationships and family. So it was a very important time in my life, and I got hired in, and I just fell in love with the whole experience. Like, I was you know, around shoes. And I was collecting cards while I was there. I was going to my local card shop I'd gone to as a kid. So it was a very special time. And uh, no, my, my, my moment with Phil Knight was, um, is that I stayed out late one day. I was waiting for my girlfriend at the time to pick me up and she showed up quite late. And so I was hanging out at the, there's this museum on campus and I was hanging out afterwards after hours and I was the only person in the, in the Nike museum. And I loved going there after hours. It was, it's kind of this really special spot with all these original shoes from back in the day. And I'm standing there and I was watching this television screen that was showing clips of Steve Prefontaine, who I'm a big fan of mm-hmm. and a bunch of his races. And this guy comes up behind me and he goes, Oh, that was a really cool race. And I was like, yeah, that was fantastic. I turn around, I see that it's Phil Knight standing beside me. And I said, well, what do you think about this guy on the wall over here? It was all these pictures of Phil Knight. And he's like, oh, that guy's a clown. He's a, uh, he's a clown. And, uh, and I was like, I, I was like uh, you know, all the locals in Beaverton always called him Uncle Phil. So I was like, Uncle mm. Phil, um, how often do you come into your own museum? And he's like, oh, you're a local kid, you know? And he goes, I, I usually come in here about once every six months to remind myself how this all came to be. 
and to never lose touch of the foundings of Nike and all and how lucky we were, you know, Bill Bowerman, Phil Knight and Steve Prefontaine all kind of at the same place, same time, just really nice happenstance. And so we talked uh, for probably about five or 10 minutes and had this just really nice rapport. Uh, Love the guy. And he's one of the you know few people in business I truly uh, respect. And his mm. you know, book, Shoe Dog, is my favorite book for the last 10 years. Shoe Dog. And yeah, if, if I'm going to plug one thing, yeah. I would read Phil Knight's Shoe Dog. Like, okay. uh, a fantastic story. And there's actually some parallels to my own life in there. Hmm. And so that was it. I, I left floating and nobody at work the next day, you know, believed that I had had this real special encounter with Phil because at this point he wasn't really coming to headquarters very often. He, he wasn't CEO anymore. And so now with him, you know, bring, you know, t- picking up the blazers, this is the greatest thing that could happen uh, for a guy if, like me. So, so that's what he wants to do. And so that's what I want to talk about uh, before saying that uh, two things I wanted to tag here for myself, minute 38 or 39 Uncle Phil. So I'm gonna ta- I'm gonna put in here a uh, smash cut of uh, Uncle Phil from Fresh Prince of Bel Air. I'm gonna put yeah. that. And um, you, ha- it seems like you had like an awesome night at the museum type of moment with uh, yeah. <laughs> with Phil. That's so awesome. But so uh, we are recording this. I'll just say it, June 5th. Uh, I am trying to do evergreen content, but we live in times when m- maybe the fireside chats aren't gonna be so evergreen, and that's totally okay. But the news broke uh, or came out uh, kind of like non-news news, but um, uh, what did my notes say? Basically, uh, I think her name is Jody Allen. So she's not the wife, but she's the sister of uh, uh, Paul Allen, who was the uh, uh, co-founder, co-founder of Microsoft. So when Paul Allen passed and Jody Allen became the heir to the Blazers empire or regime, um, she was like this, I'll, I'll never sell, uh, I'll never sell the Blazers. And, Phil Knight, I guess it's been his lifelong obsession or desire to buy the Blazers. And so my question to you is, as someone who who adores and respects Phil Knight, Uncle Phil, and the Blazers being like your your most favorite basketball team, what would it mean to you for that to potentially occur? I've been waiting my whole life for that. Like <laughs> I wanted I wanted uh, Phil Knight to buy the Blazers back in uh, back in the late 80s. Like this mm. was inevitable. I always wanted this. And uh, no, I'm pleased. Like Paul Allen was nice and everything, but man, yeah. Phil and I owning the Blazers, the most apropos thing that could possibly happen. I can't wait. We'll see if it happens because right now it's, she won't take his calls and we all, I mean, I guess these uh, billionaires, they, they still have like rotary phones and they're calling each other on bat phones, but uh, I guess she can't answer a text from him or check well, her, her, her mentions. <laughs> If he doesn't end up buying the Blazers, I'm going to buy the Blazers. So yes, there you go. So that's a great segue to what I want to talk to you about. So that was your time in Nike. And now, um, you know, I did uh, listen to these podcasts from last year. And uh, I think it was the you record with Jeremy in August. And you were saying how you wanted to make, uh, you know, within the hobby uh, landscape, um, beautiful uh, displays or uh ways to display your cards in a beautiful manner to elevate the, the, the collection. And that you said that you had a goal uh, for uh, quarter one of 2023. So we're, we're like recording in June. Uh, can you give us any update about, you know, what you do within the hobby landscape and, you know, ha- how things are going? Absolutely. Uh, first, I'll give you a little warning that I've got uh, about 3% battery on. Oh computer, no. So okay. I'm coming to a close pretty quickly. I gotcha. Absolutely. Uh, but uh, yeah, uh, we actually finished everything. Uh, we completed everything. Uh, I've got some of the, the the examples just sitting right in front of me right now. And I'm, I'm looking at, I'm telling you, these are game changers in the hobby. This is some game changer stuff that uh, uh, the few people that I've shown them t- to um, are madly in love with. Uh, mm-hmm. Yeah, I've, I've in, reinvented the way to display and protect and preserve collectibles. Um and so we're all done. It's just that there were some uh, others in the, across the hobby, kind of some of the big fish, uh, both in the sports world in general, sports mm-hmm. stars, and in our hobby that uh, became aware of what I was doing with my, my company, my team. And mm-hmm. so we're kind of doing this in a much bigger way. We're doing much bigger kind of release. Okay. And so I'll be sharing stuff and probably in the next month, I'm going to start sharing some stuff. And I think we'll start actually putting this stuff in the market uh, as far as where people can buy and own. Uh, I'm at lots of different price points. Um, 
probably as soon as uh, August, I would say, is my guess. Wow, August. Okay, that's in two months. And if someone's listening to this uh, in 2024 and beyond, you will have <laughs> already seen this. I'm wow. really excited. I will not pry. I will respect the confidentiality and the privacy of your your release. Um, so I, I, I do want to ask you after we uh, are done recording and you know, maybe another time uh, when your phone's charged up to ask about those five places to avoid because I don't want to go to those places oh, or stumble yeah. upon no, them. But I, I won't no be sharing that. Yeah. <laughs> so um, I can't find my notes about uh, my closing, but I, I with you being at three percent battery and sometimes that three <laughs> jumps to zero real quick. I, I did want to say thank you so much uh, for your time here. Uh, I feel like yes, we could talk forever. I would love to have you on in the future to talk about TikTok and about just content creating, because that's another hat that I like to wear uh, right now. I'm not wearing a hat, but um, I would love to learn from you and have our listeners learn from you about how to like increase their social media presence. Um, and so uh, any, any last words before I have a closing for you? Uh, yeah. Um, thank you so much. Thanks for having this chat. It like, like with uh, talking to you today, it didn't feel like it was any kind of podcast. I just feel like I'm talking to my buddy right now, right? Yeah. So thank you so much for being just easy and chill to talk to mm. and for, you know, bringing that positive vibe into the hobby. I'm really excited about what the next 10 years is going to be. And I think it's going to be guys like you and uh, some others I've met that are going to kind of lead this charge and making it a, a safe, positive, happy, fun, interesting place. So to anyone listening, uh, thanks for thanks for listening today. It was a lot of fun, and hope to meet uh, you know all of you at different card shops all around the country or different sporting events. I'm going to be doing tons more traveling over the next couple of years, and I hope to meet all of you guys. Yes, I love that. Uh, thank you so much for being such a good positive force in the hobby as well. We just we have to leave this place in a better uh, place for our kid, uh, for like the future generation of collectors and. You know, I got to say, uh, for your influence and reach that you have, you really are just a, a, a positive force that can't be stopped. So I'm along there for the ride. I'm a fan of yours. Uh, and I just can't wait to see what you what there's in store for you uh, and the content that you're going to provide. And that secret project that's coming out soon, I will be one of the first buyers of that. So thank you so much, Brian Pirip. You have been a fantastic interview, just like I knew you would be. So <laughs> Hope you have, uh, you know, charge your phone, uh, get it out of the heat. <laughs> yeah. But uh, I can't wait to meet you in person as well soon. And thank you for everything that you do. Matter of time, brother. Thank you so much. Take care. All the best. Thank you. Thank you.